Well, welcome to another big show of Card Authority going live across the airwaves on a well, Tuesday night. Gee, the weeks are just flying around. I think it's a great time to ring in my co-host, as always, the other AJ. Is he AJ1? Is he AJ2? AJ, welcome to the show. G'day, AJ. Uh, great to be back again for another live broadcast this time of Card Authority. So once again, as everyone knows, we're still stuck in isolation down here in, well, not so sunny Melbourne. Hopefully in a couple of weeks we'll be in the studio, AJ. That will make life a lot easier for all of us and you won't have to deal with the backgrounds of, well, my office and also AJ's. But, mate, uh, we've had a few little technical issues that before, um, so hopefully, touch wood, the, the hamsters are going to keep spinning the wheel and we won't have too many issues. Um, but, first of all, how's your week been, mate? Obviously, you'd be, a, you'd be a happy Saints supporter, I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm a, uh, a very happy Saints supporter. I was glad to see my team just improve this year to begin with, um, but to make it into the finals and then win, win the first final. It's very exciting stuff. First time in a decade. First time since uh, since I've had my kids. So fortunately, they will. Uh, yeah, they will get to uh, enjoy the Saints on what is hopefully a big build up and a, and a good run coming up. So yeah, the week has started off good in terms of uh, the weekend and uh, and the Saints and uh, onwards we go. It's a it's a Tuesday. We don't normally broadcast on a Tuesday, so it's something a little bit different for us. Yeah, well, look, we thought we'd mix it up a little bit, and obviously, we've um, we've had heaps and heaps of questions, and we were going to go live on the weekend, but um, we just thought we'd give it a couple more days, and we, you know, Sunday night, sometimes people like to have a little bit of a break, and we thought, why not do it on a Tuesday night where people can get involved, and this is a show that is for you guys at home. So, as we've sort of, um, I guess, you know, lent to a little bit over a few of the posts the last couple of days, we are going to be looking after your questions today. If there's anything that you want us to talk about, feel free to shoot them through. We'll work through them all. We'll get through all the questions. We've also, you know, as always, got a jam-packed show talking about all our usual segments. And, um, yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be back talking about cards. So I guess, AJ, look, um, we've obviously been talking about the ups and downs of the industry over the last couple of weeks and where would you say we're at at the moment? Because it, from my perspective, it feels like things um, are a little bit quieter. Would that be a fair call? Yeah, I think things have certainly quietened down a bit the last probably week, maybe even more than a week. Um, the last seven to ten days has been really interesting for me. Um, it's sort of a bit of uncharted territory, again, where we're at at the moment. I think some of our predictions and our forecasting was probably right and some of it not so much, um, which is good because, as we all know, it's a learning curve every single day and the, and the hobby and the marketplace and the conditions seem to be changing almost on a daily basis at the moment. I'm feeling like there's definitely a bit of fatigue out there in the marketplace at the moment. Um, I think that there's the liquidity that we probably saw a few weeks ago isn't quite there right now, and there's probably a, a number of different factors contributing to that. Um, we've seen certain cards, probably more so the high flyers, continue to level out. Um, and this is with respect to dominance, obviously. I'm talking specific to dominance and, and AFL cards. 
Uh, there still seems to be price increases on older AFL cards, like the retrospective series, single cards seem to be going up in value and a lot more selling through at the moment. So I think we expected a bit of that. So that's probably a bit of a direct result of people completing their sets and getting their chases done for a new series and starting to look back at other things. And I think that's starting to contribute a bit to maybe the drop in price of certain certain types of cards and certain subsets and, of course, teams and things that we're used to. Um, however, things are definitely a little bit quieter and I'm expecting it's going to probably pick up a fair bit as we come towards the weekend and it's the start of a new month and everything like that. And Yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, an interesting time. What do you think? Um, look, it's an interesting point that you made, and, and I definitely agree. I think things have flattened out a little bit. I I guess from someone who's probably, you know, as you've given me a little bit of shit about in the past, I'm a very gung-ho collector. You know me, when I find something that I want to get involved in, I'm just like, vroom, I want to buy it all and get as much as I can. Um, and for me personally, look, I've obviously not got every single logo yet, which is incredibly disappointing. But for my Richmond stuff and my Dusty stuff, I've got all that. I've pretty much am just trying to improve my sets now with better numbers and things like that. And I feel that a lot of people would be in those situations as well, that they would be um, either very close to completing their sets. There's not the same sort of demand to go into breaks to perhaps land bigger cards. Sure, everyone likes to get big cards and breaks, but I know myself personally, I don't have the same desire to go and try to land a big card now because I've acquired most of the things that I want. But you touched on an interesting thing about looking back on stuff. This week, while I've had a little bit more time, I've actually gone back and started to put together my Richmond Master Set, which for months and months I've been hoarding boxes of things that I've been buying little bits and pieces of. But I've actually started putting into a spreadsheet and looking at what I'm missing from previous years. And I'm back to sort of 2017 now. So I now have a whole heap of things that I am chasing, I guess, um, to go and, you know, re, I guess, re-energize what I'm doing at the moment. So, I mean, it's an interesting time. You made a very, very good point to me the other day about um, school holidays, which is something we really haven't talked about. And obviously we're both so used to dealing with kids at home, both of us. I think there's other people around the country that perhaps haven't been in isolation that are dealing with kids at home this week. So perhaps they just don't have the time to get involved and do the same sorts of things they were doing a few weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, look, there's a whole bunch of stuff. You can attribute things like the weather being better in Melbourne and Victoria over the weekend has meant that a whole bunch of people have gone out and are not therefore sitting at home on their devices looking at trading cards you've obviously got school holidays going on so a lot of parents who may not necessarily be working actually have things to do with their kids and whether that's things around the house or things externally um i can also see jason bernardi's raised a really good point and and i'm glad he said it because we we probably should have said it is that there's a limited amount of, he says that it's flat as there's no stock being, there's no stock for collectors to open. So looking to backfill sets and inserts. And that's exactly right. As the stock starts to dry up because we knew a, a decent portion of it was sitting with breakers or people holding it for secondary market sealed stock sales, that has now been opened at a really like ferocious sort of rate in the last 10 yep. to 14 days. The breakers have all smashed it really hard. A lot has started to get opened up now. So there's probably very limited amounts still to come. And, yeah, the direct result is either people's chase is unattainable now 
or it's yep. slowed down because they're not seeing the cards or they've completed their actual set for this series. And yeah, they're all starting to backlog. And this is where you're going to see the cream of what exists from previous series start to really rise up. Like my opinion's always been, if someone's just coming into the hobby now or has come into the hobby in the last four, five, six months, then they came in on prestige or dominance. They would do prestige, they would do dominance, and then they're going to look, well, what do I go back to? And I think the natural things are going to be, well, there's dominance 2019, but supremacy. Supremacy is really going to be that one that I think most people, if they're looking for previous year's cards outside of really particular stuff, say, you know, Hall of Fame signatures and future Hall of Fame cards and the old influentials and stuff like that, supremacy in a broad sense that's where people want to get their teams done and that's where people want the subsets done from as well. So I, I would say, you know, there's there's decent demand starting to kick back in on what is a very limited product now in the secondary market. Absolutely. And look, you know, Benny Griff has just posted a good question, which is something we've covered over the last couple of weeks. What percentage of dominance do you think is left to open? I think, you know, we've moved from sort of 30 40% to 50%. Where do you think we are now? So I'm not sure if we'd if I'd said it publicly on the show last week or not, but certainly yep. quite a few people continue to ask me that question. Benny Griff include, included in that. The last time he asked me was a couple of weeks ago, and I think, what did I say, Benny? I said I thought somewhere between 55 and 65% is where it was about two weeks ago, and uh, I'm going to agree with Bodie Brown. His, his comments just popped up on the screen there, and, uh, yeah, I think it's somewhere sitting around that 80%, probably – anywhere in the 75 to sort of 82, 83% range, I would say, at the moment. I'm thinking yep. there's still still about 10, 10 to 20% or 15 to 20% stock sealed up, sitting with a, in a multitude of different places. Yep. And, I, and look, I would agree too. Um, I definitely noticed that I certainly, you know, get a lot of offers for stock, as you probably do too. And um, I'll just point out all the listeners at home, it seems like your camera's doing funny buggers again, so it does look like you've got gremlins in there. You do have an amazing moustache when that happens. It's really quite impressive. Um, but anyone that's thinking it's an issue, don't worry. It's just the aura that AJ number two exhumes from himself, or maybe he's AJ number one. Do you, do you reckon it's the, the John Law's gold microphone could be doing <laughs> You mean the, the more like the Big Ted's copper art microphone? Um, maybe, maybe. But um, look, I, I think definitely the, a lot of the, the deals that are getting, you know, that I would certainly get offered about what stock is around, I'm noticing I've got a lot less people offering me sealed stock than they were, say, two weeks ago. You know, I was it, it, a day pretty much wouldn't go past that I wasn't getting offered a sealed case of something. Um, you know, those offers have reduced down to now a couple a week. So, yeah, it definitely feels like there's a lesson around there. Um, and I guess the people that have got to have either got a plan that they're going to hold on to it long now or the people that are going to get rid of it, they probably realise the ceiling is about it. Like I can't see many cases being sold for much more than 5500 at the moment, maybe six, but I think we're absolutely at the top of it now. Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's a huge amount left. And I think of what's left, obviously, is going to get busted over the next few weeks with the, the breakers that have it. 
Um, obviously, people who are holding sealed stock with the intent of flipping it to breakers would probably do that in the next couple of weeks as well, I would have thought. Um, and then there'll be, always be that amount left over, of maybe let's say 10% of the cases, which is still, you're talking about 40 odd cases, you know, yeah. it's not a small amount, but I would think five to 10% will end up staying sealed for a very prolonged period of time, years and years and years, maybe even a decade, some of it. So yeah, well, I think what's on the market now is the significant bulk of what anyone's going to see out there. I wouldn't be expecting that, you know, eBay listings and market depth on eBay, for example, isn't going to go up from this point. It's only going to go yeah. down, in my opinion. There's, however, I think, what is it? There's probably six or 7,000 cards listed at the moment that will only start to go down now, I think. Yeah, and it's funny. So something I just thought about, and this is not on our run sheet, but um, question without notice. I certainly notice as we look at it like a, a bell curve going through the last month, it started with you'd see some big cards called the Ablet or the Dusty or whatever it might be, and then it felt like pretty much everything had come out, and now it feels like there's certain cards that just are not around. And one of the cards that I was thinking about today, which is a little bit, I guess it's obvious but not overly obvious, is the Tom Lynch Influential. So for a card that there were a couple of them around early days. Early? I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any. And I don't know whether it's that the Richmond collectors all have them or they're still in the stock. But, I mean, you know, we didn't see any tippers for a while. And then obviously the guys at RGV did a couple of tippers and there's been a couple on eBay. You know, I didn't really see any ablets for a while. And now there's a couple of ablets. I think there's one on sale on eBay at the moment if anyone wants it. But, I mean, those cards are actually sort of out there. There's, there's a couple of cards that I'm just not seeing at all. And Lynch was one of the first ones that I thought of. Yeah, I agree. I haven't seen, yeah, I haven't seen Lynch's for, for a while. So look, they, they must be, they must have been coming out somewhere. I haven't yep. seen them. So obviously they're getting snapped up very quickly. Um, same thing, like, look, I'm not really looking specifically for that card, but I can tell you, like, I haven't seen a Billings Influential or even a Jack Steel Dominance come out for a good couple of weeks now as well out of a a break or a stock that anyone's busting unless it's being kept hush hush, you know? So yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's a good point. I'm not, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, but that's probably speaks volumes for that. You're talking about case hits. So there's not a huge amount of cases getting broken, although it may seem like each individual breaker is doing two breaks a day or three breaks a day, five days a week. They're, they're most of them are mixes. So you're still only talking about, a case a week, a case and a half a week per breaker being busted open. Yeah, and look, you know, as Jacob just messaged there, the shoey was the exactly the same. You know, the, I, I noticed a few of those on eBay a couple of weeks ago all around the $800 mark, and, you know, he's telling me there's only one there at the moment. So I think it's, it's interesting those cards that are numbered to 40. You know, if you say that there's probably 10 or 20 serious collectors from every team just being loose, you know, if they've all locked up a card, suddenly that's half of those cards that are gone, not even counting what hasn't been pulled out. So um, yeah. I think that's going to be interesting over the next couple of weeks. I guess another thing I've noticed also is that it seems a horrible time to sell. If you're looking to sell and get some money back, I mean, it's a buyer's market out there at the moment. If you want to buy things, it's either stupidly expensive or you can pick up things really cheaply because people are desperate to sell. Yeah, so there's bargain hunting going on at the moment. And look, at the end of the day, we're talking about real natural market forces and human nature, I suppose, because 
no matter what anyone tells themselves, the reality is anyone that's gone and purchased a lot of boxes or cases or bought a lot of break spots is left with a lot of cards and they want to see recoupment of their money for those cards. Um, there's very few people out there that don't need to turn their cards back over in order to keep their, their money coming through and, and their purchasing power going in terms of what they need for their collection. So exactly as you've just said, there's some serious bargain hunting opportunities going on right now, but there's also some people holding very firm on their pricing of high-end cards. And I think that's to be expected and it's something that happens with every single release. And what happens is, you know, you've got everything high, everyone's trying to complete sets, people want to get their sets done early because they don't want to miss out, they're concerned that they may miss out. Then things start to correct themselves, it all balances, it levels out a bit, the market starts to flatten. Then you get people going, okay, the market's flattening, I've got all this shit that I don't need, sorry, these cards that I don't need here. And I want to just get rid of it. And I don't care if a week ago I could get $5 for it, I'd be happy just to take $3 for it per card now. So people start selling into that. The next person sees what's going on, they start doing the same thing. Then bargain hunters and this, what we'll call the smart money basically is sitting there on the sidelines waiting for that to happen. They slowly, the bargain hunters slowly start buying up all that cheap stuff. And then you, you have the supply demand tips the scale back the other way again and all of a sudden goes into okay now there's more to buyers demand than there is, is sellers and, and depth of product out there and that starts to push everything up something that probably really resonated with me was um when we had grayson from cherry a few weeks ago one of the, the things that really stood out what he said um dur during that that episode was give it he go he said like give it four weeks eight weeks three months and people won't be able to find any of the, the high-end case hits. They simply just won't find them. It will be too late. They won't be out there because the product has been purchased and opened so quickly. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of hoarding going on. Make no mistake, people are doing multiples. Someone may be doing two of a card. Someone may be doing 10 of a card. Some people may even be doing 30 of a card. There's very limited amounts and we're still getting a lot of new collectors entering the marketplace every single week. There's new names popping up and new people popping up. So every one of those people that comes through, one's, you know, pending what they decide to collect, they're impacting that depth on a real-time basis. Those cards are going to run out very, very quickly. Absolutely. And look, um, yeah, the, the hoarding is an interesting thing. Like, I think people, um, there's a negative tendency or I guess a vibe about people that are hoarding cards. Um, and look, you know, I admit I've copped it a little bit from the couple of logos that I have as well. Um, and I'm sure you cop it a little bit too with your St Kilda stuff. But everyone has the right to collect what they want. And whether they want to go and collect the whole set of on the risers or the whole set of dominance cards or the whole set of Joel Selwood cards, it shouldn't really matter. Like, you know, yes, it's going to create a little bit demand for, for certain cards, but, I mean, everyone's got the same opportunity. And I know we've harped on this about it before, but, um, yeah, I mean, there's going to be a point where people are going to want to release them back on the market and the market will dictate those prices. And as we've talked about many times, supply and demand. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Well, look, the reality is, you know, I'm pretty open about the fact that I do multiples of a lot of things. I have very specific players and card types that we, you know, well, when I say we, it's my, my family and I, because ultimately all the cards that I own and any 
you know, what remains in cardboard or what may turn into money at some point in time in the future, whatever it is, is ultimately for my kids. Um, but we hoard certain things. Everyone knows like Jack Steele, I've, we've been on the Jack Steele train for two years, you know, we've been wanting Jack Steele and Jack Steele's cards because it's Dylan's favourite player since day dot, well before Jack Steele was released from having a Tagger's role into now, he's going to probably poll in the top three or four in the Brownlow this year. And, and and But I'm also impacted by that as well because the cost of a Jack Steele dominance card right now is a lot higher. And people may say they don't think it's that high still compared to other teams, but it's a lot higher than what it would have been 12 months ago or 18 months ago, irrespective of the broader market conditions. But just because he's been performing so well and also the fact that I collected so many of his cards that drives up the cost for me as well. So I've had to adjust my ceiling for this series and where last year I may have bought a Tim Membry high flyer number to 60 and I may have been paying 120 or $130 at the time for that card on release. Yep. This time around, I knew from the outset that wasn't going to happen with the Jack Steele dominance number to 60, which was in terms of, of rarity, the same sort of thing, the same numbering. But I knew straight away that there's no chance I was going to get those cards at that price. So I had to change my expectations and be a bit more realistic about it. And at the same time, I also have the comfort that all these cards that I bought two years ago, they're part of my collection, but they still have a value to them. And the value is more now than what it was at the time. So I'm quite, you know, I can sleep pretty well at night knowing that I haven't just lost a lot of my family's money in some cardboard. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, well, look, obviously we're getting lots of messages coming through about your Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer face. That's so funny. It, it is very amusing. And, and obviously it does it correct itself eventually, but um, we'll have to speak to the tech department about that during the week. Mate, look, we've got plenty of questions coming through, all right? We can sit here and talk all night and we will continue. But um, let me start firing a couple of these in because these are, these are brilliant. Yeah. Um, lots of Go Richmond... AJ, the Richmond Tiger one is the better AJ. AJ on the left is definitely better. AJ, the one with without the red nose, he's a lot funnier. That, I mean, there's lots of those, but, um, you know, let's see if we can find some. Uh, oh, so many questions coming through. Sorry, this is all a little bit of a, a technical nightmare. All right, well, here's a good question from Asha. Is it normal for some of the dominance cards to have a slight curve in them? So, uh, I, I don't know what answer you've got to this, but my very technical answer of this is it's it's all it's actually based it's based on two things. It's based on the thickness of the stock, but it's more so more importantly, it's based on the way the laminate on the front of those cards is applied because it's effectively stretched. It's putting pressure on the card. So when it's hot, they're completely flat when they're hot off the press. But once they dry, it loses it loses its flex. So think that the card is almost pulling its pulling into itself from the corners in, which is why they they bow in certain cards type of cards bow. Now ultimately, putting it into a one touch or even a top loader over time will balance it out. Um, as long, if it's stacked, if it's sitting upright, it probably won't balance in a top loader. But if it's stacked, then gravity will uh, take its cause and it will will reshape it. All right, well, we'll, we'll cover that a little bit later on. Um, 
actually in cardboard school. We're going to talk about some storing of some cards. So that's a good one, Asho. We'll, uh, we'll come back to that. Um, <clears throat> good one from Tom here. Just a quick one off topic for dominance. Hey, nothing's off topic here. Do you think draft pick SIGs are going to rise in value? We've obviously seen probably one of the most expensive set of DPSs come straight out of the gate. You know, even as we've reflected before, you were sort of thinking that Matt Rao would be a $50 card pre-release. Yeah. Um, fair to say you got that one wrong. Well, the, rookie um, cards, the rookie cards are still going for 40 to $50. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. So do you think that they um, they will continue to rise? Is it going to be like the US where it's dependent on how a player performs or is it going to be more of the speculation slash investment market here in Australia? So there's been obviously a significant shift in the way that the hobby and the AFL marketplace operates. And it's, it has been like a paradigm shift towards the same direction as the international sports cards, where it's really speculative based on player performance. And all of a sudden rookies or in our case, draft picks and draft pick signature cards, um, all of a sudden becomes speculative in terms of investment for future flippage, flippage, if that's even a word, Um, no, but for for people to flip that. So the consideration there is what we're seeing now is we're seeing something take place for the first time that I don't recall knowing about, certainly in my times in AFL and based on the research I've done, it's never been to this sort of extent. And it goes beyond just the dominance cards and the Matt Rao, for example. I'm noticing that all previous series now, any players who are have evolved into superstars or are on their way to becoming superstars or classified now as elite from the past several years are all going up like significantly in value, like very significantly in value. Yep. You know, you got to look look at something like a Sam Walsh. Sam Walsh opened as one of the most <laughs> expensive cards in 2019 dominance. Um, his DPS opened high at like $60. It hit like a peak six months ago around the 130 mark. And I've seen it in the last week selling at 200 plus a unit. I've seen Max, uh, Max Kings going up like now. There was one on eBay a couple of days ago. A few of the Saints guys were commenting. Had a few days to go with bids up over 150 already on that card. So it seems like there's always been a little bit of speculation and it's been player-based, but it's almost been negated by the team that that person plays for. So they could be an amazing draft pick, but unfortunately being drafted to a, a low-level collected team. And as a result of that, they've never had the value. Well, I can tell you now, as we said last week, it's not it's not Gold Coast supporters that are buying up all the Matt Rowell DPSs. Every man and his dog is buying up Matt Rowell DPSs. Some people, because they think he's going to be a superstar and they'd love to have the card in their collection, other people because they have intent to speculate and they think the guy will become a superstar and what is a $200 card now might be end, end up being worth $600 down the track. What's really interesting is prior to the release of this series, I would have said that DPSs have this ceiling. Then the Matt Rowell DPS, how can it be more expensive than the Chris Judd DPS and this sort of stuff? And then I thought to myself, okay, well, what's a good barometer here? Dusty. Everyone talks about Dusty. It's obviously a high collector player. And I said to you, AJ, the other day, I was like, yeah, you know, the last time I looked at a Dusty DPS, maybe like six months ago, eight months ago, that was like the most valuable DPS. And I was like a 200 or $220 card. 250 yep. Yeah, 250 yep. you know, whatever it was. And that was like extraordinarily high in price compared to everything else. Hey, I've looked in the last couple of days and my mind is blown. Dusty DPSs. Whether they're actually selling or not, I don't know. 
but the ones I see are being advertised at 450 around that 450 mark. And from what I can gather from speaking to some Tigers collectors, that's actually the price on, you know, the price is right up there in, in that range at the moment on that car, which is just I, I, like I, I, amazing. So it's lifting the whole market. Yeah, and I, I know it's a serious Richmond collector, and obviously I won't drop names, that bought one the other day at that price. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and as we've talked about many times, a price can be set at whatever you want it to be. But as soon as someone buys it, that shows that there is an acknowledgement of what that value of that card is. So, um, you know, will all draft pick SIGs go up? Who knows? But there's definitely going to be a few from this crop that are going to hold their price or certainly go up, in my opinion. What's interesting, though, is I don't think that the 2020 draft pick, the the draft class and that's represented in those signature cards is nothing spectacular, especially compared to previous years. I would say 2019 was stronger. Walsh, King, King, Rosie, like uh, Bailey Smith. There's so many, like, players that are evolving into elite superstars now or, or what will be elite superstars and the previous years as well, there was some, you know, just monsters, like huge, huge. The Future Force releases and the draft pick SIGs from some of those years were massive. And what's interesting is that this year's ones are more expensive. Well, an interesting thing, and this, this is something we haven't talked about this, but I thought it was bizarre that Adam Serra doesn't have a DPS. Yes, he's got a player, I think, um, but he doesn't have a DPS. So you've got these quality players. Sorry, Sarah, Serong. What am I saying, oh, Sarah? Sarong. Sarong. So, oh, Sarah yeah. from Fremantle? Yeah, from Fremantle, yeah. yeah. So you've got, you've got these players that, you know, probably because they've decided just to do one DPS per club, they don't have one. You know, the other one, the guy from uh, Gold Coast who became, was behind Rao, Noah Anderson, I believe it is. You're yeah. number two in the draft and you don't have a DPS. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the, is the, the other Gold Coast guy. The other Gold Coast guy, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's one for each club is how they do it. But it's also, I imagine they run into an issue with the signing situation so they can only use players that they can guarantee they can get signatures from. Because there is an issue where, where, although it all runs through the AFL and AFLPA, they still have to negotiate for specific players. Like certain players won't sign merchandise that they have their signing rights excluded from their yep. their club deals and stuff with the AFL. So I imagine there's a bunch of stuff. And you know what? That's probably one we should note down for the future because there's no doubt we'll end up with Grant Copley on this podcast at some point on this show and we'll make sure we pose that to him because I think it's a really, really great one. All right, I've got another question here from Tyrone. And I don't know if this is going to show up, so I'll read it to you. As a new collector, I'd love to know the general etiquette of collecting and what is a big no-no or acceptable. Just don't want to be in an awkward position without knowledge about the game. Thanks, fellas. And thanks for the question. And look, this is a this has been a, a you know, this is probably a whole segment we could talk about with this question. <laughs> but um, how about we start with you, Jenks? Do you want to give a couple of quick do's and don'ts about how you should act in the community straight off the bat. Yeah, so a couple of things here. Firstly, I'm just going to say a new release brings out the the best and the worst in, in humans. And you see some amazing things happen and some very disappointing things happen right when new releases come out. It's because people are, are very intent on you know getting their, their mission done or, or whatever you know their, their set concluded or achieving what they want within very particular parameters or budget or whatever it is so what tends to happen is i think a new release really exacerbates 
the people who are following the, the etiquette or, or doing the right thing and those perceived to be doing something else. Um, what is considered right or wrong ultimately is just a perception. It's a matter of is it perceived in a particular way by the masses because that's what's going to get you in trouble. Uh, and, and that's in anything. That's in your personal life, in any form of business, and certainly in a hobby such as a collectibles and, and trading cards. Um, etiquette, there's lots of things. Instead, of if you transact with someone, for example, if you're new and you don't know what you're doing, inquire with them or inquire with someone else before you do it. The recurring theme that we literally see every second day is issues with pack, pack and send, packaging cards, delivering cards, taking payments for cards, the right things to do, the wrong things to do. So a few different things, okay? So if someone runs a sales thread and you have the time and an individual has the time to win a card by commenting sold or winning it in an auction or a straight purchase, whatever it is, well, then the person should have the ability to pay for that in a, in a reasonable amount of time. The owner shouldn't come back to being on the seller to chase that person over and over. So that's one of the things that, that happens a lot, certainly. Um, there's etiquette, I think, with respect to, to teams and collectors. You know, I have no issues with people that want to turn cards over. They see an opportunity, they want to buy a card cheap, and then they want to sell it at a higher price. But there's tasteful and distasteful ways to do that. If you're cutting in front of genuine collectors or team collectors or individuals who you know are very specific with their budget and what they have to spend and their ability to procure cards, then I, I, I find it wrong. Um, maybe a really good example could be of myself, for example, something I did a couple of days ago. A post went up at 2.30 p.m. with a Geelong um, franchise future signature, which was incredibly good, incredibly good value, an amazing price, great price, great value, fantastic card. A few people commented on it, but no one had bought it yet. After like 20 minutes, I commented on it saying, this is great value, and I'm putting fair warning out there that at 5 p.m., if a Geelong collector has not come along and bought this card by 5 p.m., well, I'm going to buy it because this is an amazing value card. And what I thought that did was I thought that was good etiquette because basically I know that's a card that any Geelong person wants. However, they may not be online right at that point in time. So maybe if I give it a couple of hours, that gives those people the opportunity to be able to get their card. If not, I'd love to have that card. And I, so in the end, I bought the card, okay? So I got the card and someone, I can't remember who commented on the thread saying, oh, are you a Geelong collector now? I didn't know you were becoming a Geelong collector. I think it was Pete Buchanan. And he was saying it in a joking manner, but I thought, you know what? This is a perfect opportunity for me to, to say exactly why I've purchased this card because I know at the end of the day, as much as it's a joke and all that sort of stuff, there's certainly people sitting in the background going, well, why is a St Kilda collector buying Geelong cards? We don't like this. We're not happy with this. And my comment was, and this is the absolute truth, I bought this card because at that price, it's an amazing purchase for me and I'll put the card away so when a Geelong collector hits a St Kilda card in the future that I might need for my collection, I have something to be able to trade with them. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to go and try to rip someone off in a trade or something like that. I just see it as, well, great value. It can sit here for a trade. In saying that, all the Geelong guys know that I deal with that if, if, they, if they wanted to come to me and they need that card, 
I'm, I'm going to help them out with that card, whether it's a trade or they pit up at the same price, whatever it is. So to me, that's a bit of an unspoken thing. It's, it's, but to me, that, that could be an example of etiquette. Um, if you don't know how to pack cards, go and figure out how to do it before you do the transaction. That, that is a form of, of etiquette. Yeah, and look, you know, I guess probably from my perspective, to sum it up a, a, a little bit, you know, obviously AJ number two loves to talk, um, but, you know, treat people the way that you want to be treated, okay? If you want cards to be set up a certain way and you want to receive packages a certain way, um, make sure you send cards that way. You know, be honest, pay for spots. Like I know quite a few breakers and one of the bugbears that they have is someone goes and claims a spot in a break and then they've got to get chased up for payment. So whether it's a sale or it's a break or it's a transaction, pay promptly, communicate well, respect other people and treat the cards with respect and people with respect. This community might be full of a couple of thousand people through all the different groups but it's a small community and people have short memories or long memories or any way you want to put it, be good to people and you will get it back tenfold. If you burn someone in your early days of being part of the community, I promise you it will come back and bite you. So long-winded answer, and I guess look, we could probably do a whole episode on the do's and don'ts, um, but hopefully, Tyrone, look, that's a, that's a great question. Welcome to the community. Obviously, feel free to reach out to either AJ or myself at any time if you've got any specific questions. Um, we'd always be here to help. So, um, oh, I don't know if, I don't know good if you question noticed, here hey? from. Sorry, I don't know if you noticed, but I managed to switch out my headphones uh, mid uh, mid you talking there because I was having a bit of a technical issue. Um, I have also noticed we're getting a lot of comments with respect to um, to buying other teams' cards and. Don't get me wrong. I don't think there's anything wrong with it all. I just felt that in that particular situation, from my perspective, the correct thing to do, because it was also at an awkward time in the middle of the day, and I don't specifically need that card. I'm happy to have that card in my trade arsenal, we'll call it, moving forward. But I also felt for me personally, the right thing to do was to give other Geelong collectors the opportunity to buy it. And I know that like M Pennell and there was a couple of other people that, that right after I commented saying, I'll buy this in a couple of hours if no one else does, they had said the same thing and said, I feel the same way, I'm thinking the same thing. And for me, it was also to ensure that the seller knew that that card was going to get sold regardless. So if someone didn't come along by 5 p.m., he was selling that card, so he knew he had the, the PayPal and the cash flow to be able to go and commit to a purchase of something else. Yeah, and I, and I think the thing is, I look, and Jason just posted a question, you should never have to purchase, justify why you purchase a card. And you are 100% right, Jason. Yeah. You know, we are all here with the same opportunities to buy any cards or go in any break and all that kind of stuff, and you're spot on. You do not have to make a justification. But in the situation that AJ described the other day, he felt that he was doing the right thing to give other Geelong supporters. And I'm not speaking on your behalf. This is what you've told me before. But, you know, again, it's about a little bit of not etiquette. Again, you know, everyone's free to do whatever they want. But, again, as a new person in the community, don't be, you know, you don't want to burn bridges early. But, yes, everyone is free to buy whatever they want and be in whatever transaction they want. But, you know, you never know where a good gesture might come back and actually 
reward you tenfold in the future. Anyway, we'll, we'll move on from that because, as I said, we could talk about that topic for a while. Um, oh, there's so many questions coming through. These are great. Oh, Mar- Mario, great question. And thank you, everyone, for putting these in. We are getting through to them as quick as possible. Um, you know, the time is flying. We will we will keep going for as long as they're questions. So keep them coming in. Um, Mario, is Supremacy 2 a, dif- a definitive? A- a definite, God, it feels like Sunday night. Um, or are we still guessing whether it's being done? I, I know the answer to this, so you can now answer it, James. Yeah, it's as far as I'm concerned, it's definite. It's been underway for a four, five since since before the release of Prestige. They were well and truly onto it. That's what I from, heard too. From secondhand information, I have jumpers are secured for booklets and for patches. Signers, veteran signers have been secured. The names of subsets have been secured. Expect that it's not just going to carry over as identical subsets. You will see differences. So in the same way that we've seen differences between Dominance 2019 and 20 with things like, well, you know, you got On the Rise versus last year's Timeless cards, things like that, I would expect there will be different subsets. My expectation is that the production run would be very much the same if anything, it'll be slightly more. I would expect that the recommended retail may go up just because demand is, we're in a much different space now, but also it's pretty clear the value of the individual cards that came out of that product. So we might we might see that, that happen as well. But as far as I'm concerned, Dominance 2 is coming out in 2021 and we should expect there'll be a Footy Stars release I would think there'll be a prestige release again. I would think there'll be another series two proper release, whether it's called Dominance or something else. I reckon they should bring this a good opportunity for them to have legacy again, to be honest. But and then that's what I, I think that's what I was going to say. Yeah. There you go. I, I, I think the fourth and the fourth release will be the, the big one, which is going to be supremacy. Now, how does the mindset affect people? People, you know, we all know supremacy is a, is the name says it all. It's a superior product to anything else. So as a result of that, do people save up and not spend the money on the other series and save up for supremacy? Well, that's all good in theory, but if you're a, a team set collector or a master set collector or any collector for, for that matter, you still need to get all the other cards anyway. So it's it's going to ha- it'd be interesting. I don't know how that affects mindsets. From my perspective, it's you know business as usual. I'll be consuming as much as I can of everything. I'll be buying as many boxes as I can and going in lots of breaks like I do and buying lots of singles and hardcore high high frequency trading or everything. It's just to me, it's just going to be like 2021 is going to be more expensive for trading cards. But at the same time, the value of all our cards has gone up significantly as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's going to be exciting. Supremacy, as far as I know, is already locked down. Um, yeah, a legacy would be great. I I personally, I'm done with dominance. I hope it doesn't come back. But um, look, Ashley's just put up a, a comment to have a PO box so fans can send us gifts. Yes, it's a big PO box. <laughs> so we take we take cases, we take booze, we take cars, no live animals, and no mail bombs. Um, yeah, send them to send them to AJ's PO Thank box. You very much. Um, anyway. So straightening up a little bit. So actually, while we're talking about releases, um, and I don't know whether you've heard this, but I've heard in the grapevine that there may be some delays with Footy Stars 2021 due to some imagery issues. 
that just because there hasn't been enough games this year. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, so I, I again, speculating, but have also heard different things from varying sources, um, and it, not necessarily from the card hobby itself, but from a general perspective. Some people obviously yeah. obviously know what my, my background is um, in terms of, of entertainment and, and the music industry and everything else, so I, I do get some varying info from all different types of people but basically due to the COVID restrictions of the season this year AFL media which is the department or subsidiary of the AFL which obtains all the images and all the video footage that is owned by the AFL and therefore part of the official licensing there was limited photography of everything so they didn't have all their photographers at all the games there was generally only one AFL media person at each of the games. And as a result, they have nowhere near the volume of stock shots that they normally do. So how it basically works is they, they have basically, let's say, a, a digital portfolio of all images of all players that are available. Um, and they give that to all the licensees. So whether that's the guys printing the merchandise or the people doing the trading cards, and they can select from those images. My understanding is there isn't going to be a great selection of photos. And as a result, it's going to impact player selection for, for Series 1 footy stars cards and probably Series 2 to an extent as well next year. So, okay. yeah, player selection may not be what people would love it to be. And it's not because of poor choices. It's because of lack of images, lack of licensable images, basically. Oh, beautiful. Um, quick question here from Jason. Um, I bought every spot in a Raz to ensure I got the card I wanted. There were a few unhappy people who wanted spots. Thoughts? Hey, well, Jack, what do you think? You know, my thoughts are I, um, my first-hand experience with this, uh, about six or seven weeks ago, I did the same thing, mate. A card came up and was an unlimited spot listing, and I wanted the card. And I thought it was the correct price for the card and the card hadn't been advertised for sale. So I jumped on and bought every single spot. I literally bought, I, I didn't I didn't leave any. I literally bought every single spot and I got the card outright. And I said, okay, well, you don't need to run it. Unfortunately, something crazy happened and the piece of mail got run over by the postie van and I ended up having to get a refund for the card. But yeah, I, I don't see an issue with it. It's Could you? God, you're unlucky. You are you are seriously one of the most unlucky oh, no, blokes I've ever it's met. Unbelievable. I have some terrible luck. But it's like anything. It's the same way that people get upset at other people buying multiple break spots in breaks that are unlimited. Well, I'm guilty of that as well. And as far as I'm concerned, we all have an equal chance to buy something. We have an equal chance to buy a card that's on listed for sale. We have an equal chance to buy cards that are in a RAS. We have an equal chance to buy break spots, we have equal chances for everything. If there's no limit, then people can do whatever they want. Some, some, you know, some people may not like that, but that's, that's you know, a, an individual's issue with an individual situation. From a broad perspective, though, everyone's got equal opportunity. And I completely agree too. Look, obviously, if someone's already got a couple of spots and you try to buy the rest to close them out, I mean, it's probably bad form for them to kick those guys out that have already committed. But, I mean, if there's spots to be bought and there's no limit, go for your life. Uh, Anthony Gatt, will there be another series from Select before Christmas? And I did sort of say that I thought something was going on. A week later, we haven't heard anything more. Yeah, so... What do you I, think, I, AJ? I know, last episode, I think I also put it out there and said I, I was just getting these weird market signals and 
just feeling a vibe that there was going to be something else. Traditionally, um, Select will always release something going into that Christmas period and normally it would be like a small limited release, nothing spectacular, but just something to keep people entertained along the way. Now, given that we've already, you know, they've already gone through three series this year of which the, you know, prestige and dominance were both massive and, and quite expensive in terms of the product. Um, yeah, I don't know if they're doing something this year. I was definitely, I was getting a vibe like a week or two ago that something was coming. I still feel like something is coming. I Nothing has been said to me. And I'll be honest with you, Gat, if anyone's going to know, you're probably one of those people that would yeah. be able to work it out pretty quickly. So if you know something that we don't at Card Authority, spill the beans in the comments, buddy. Absolutely. I was thinking I was thinking the same too. Are you just trying to reel us in with a little bit of fishy fishy here? Let us know, Gav. <laughs> Let us know. Um, well, look, obviously the questions are pouring in, but um, I just wanted to, I guess probably good to cover a couple that got sent to us during the week. Um so I guess, you know, this is like one big AJ's mailbag segment. I don't need to give you a big promo and run in and all that kind of stuff. Um, but a question that appealed to me, this came from Chris actually last week. You guys need to discuss how and when the Richmond and Collingwood tax began and what year those of those that tax start on cards. Because as a kid in the early tw- 2000s, I can't remember a tax on cards until the last 10 years. I mean, hey, I'm a Richmond supporter. I've been paying tax. Tell me. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, when did this start happening? You, you, you joined the hobby recently, so uh, for you it's standard. It's normal. Um, okay. I, it's a really it's – a, it's a very difficult question to answer, to be honest. And I'll be honest with you. I haven't been around for the, the whole period of time. Um, and when, if we go back and people didn't hear, I think it was either episode one or episode two of Card Authority – we talked about the reason why certain teams' cards are worth more than others. And there's two really critical aspects to this, in my opinion. And this doesn't answer when it happened, but it should answer possibly when, when it has happened at certain times and when it will continue to happen. As Bodie Brown says, supply and demand. But let's break down that supply and demand. Let's dissect what that actually means. Because I always throw around at people, supply and demand, market forces, that's the market, that's what it is. Well, let's break that down and what does that actually look like? Collingwood, Hawthorne, Richmond, Western Bulldogs to an extent at the moment. What do they all have in common? Their cards are worth more than other teams or more than other Victorian sides or, or, or whatnot. Okay, Jay's just answered the question on the screen. So obviously, so too then he said it went up significantly. I don't know why exactly that is, but the broad sentiment is always going to be clubs that have big supporter bases, which have successful outcomes on the playing field or have cult-followed players or, or have um, things, social initiatives or um Almost the club becomes part of, of someone's everyday life and the fabric almost of society where you're so you're so part of it, it's represented in every form of collectible. So trading cards, it's naturally going to be represented in the same way it would be with memorabilia. I have no doubt without even looking, a signed St Kilda jumper would cost a lot less than a signed Richmond jumper or a signed Collingwood jumper. Yep. Um, and it's simply because of the demand. 
you have more members, more supporters. So more supporters equals more members, which also means more people that want to support their club or something they love in a different way, which means they're going to collect something for that club, merchandise, trading cards, whatever it is. So when we take clubs like Richmond and Collingwood and you then apply the on-field success at different eras and different points in time, I would expect that you would see a significant spike in the value of their merchandise, goods, collectibles, or whatever it is throughout those periods of time. And I think I'm seeing it in the last in, in the last two, three years, whilst I've been involved in the hobby, I've seen it happen more and more with Richmond cards. I've started to see it happen with St Kilda now. I've seen it happen with the Bulldogs a bit. Um, any team that's basically, basically garnering success and as a result increasing their fan base and their supporter base, it's reflected in cards as well. Well, and, and this question that's just come up from Jason too, Bombers haven't won a game in 10 years and are still high. I would actually debate that a little bit at the moment, Jason. Like, I've certainly noticed that, again, I'm not going to particularly name types of cards, but there are certain Essendon cards that it feels like the price has just fallen out of the arse with them, you know, that might have been worth a third more than they were a month ago before Essendon clearly has just slid off the map. Have you, do you, would you agree with that, or do you think they're still one of the premium clubs that you're paying a tax for? So I think Essendon is still perceived as a top four premium value club um, or, or top four or five. I just, I, I agree with you though. I'm not seeing it at the moment. Something's happened and it's not just performance-based. I don't know what exactly it is, but something has happened in the last six months with Essendon cards where not only are Essendon cards not achieving the same values in terms of percentage greater than other teams that they were, they're simply not selling. Like there does not seem to be the buyer's market for a lot of the Essendon cards. There's always going to be particular ones which will sell no matter what, and the demand will always be there. In a broad sense, though, my personal opinion and based on my, my analysis is that Essendon cards have basically pulled back like 20 to 30%. Or, or they, ha or, you know what? Let me rephrase it. Essendon cards haven't gone up at the same value as their counterparts, whereas they would have traditionally done so. So I think that, and I think the same happened with Carlton, to be honest, as well. And I think you can probably mm. judge, judge it. You can look at something like Prestige Greens. The green parallels are a great, great way to get a really good broad picture of the marketplace and which teams are outperforming other ones in terms of value and where, where you think, where, where you would expect Essendon and Carlton values to be on cards numbered to 60 versus every other team, they're, just, they're not there. They're not where they were previously. They used to, you know, Essendon should be pricing with Hawthorne or traditionally priced with Hawthorne. It's certainly not Absolutely. going to work more. And they're both, they're both not performing well on the field. So Yeah, and, and as yeah. Rucker's just posted there, Hurley dominance is cheap as chips, and that wasn't what I was talking about, but that's another good example. And, you know, crystal ball stuff, if I was looking to invest in some things over the next five years, I mean, Essendon cards can only go up, in my opinion, but um, that's just an opinion of mine. I, You know, big Melbourne clubs, big fan bases, eventually Essendon are going to get their shit together and win a game in September. I mean, yeah, I, it's not the worst investment idea, if you ask me. Um, obviously, yeah, a few Essendon are delusional, all that kind of stuff. Um, I've got a good question here from Steve in South Australia. Uh, I don't think it's all going to show up on the screen, but I'll, I'll read the gist. Basically, with Australia Post, um, 
a bit. That's not really working here. Slow. They're going with Australia Post being slow, as we know. There's posts going missing and taking forever. Who is to blame here? Does the seller have to refund the buyer if they go missing after doing the right things, like sending tracking numbers, pictures, envelope before you post? My thoughts are are if the buyer thinks that the card is valuable, pay extra for insurance. But if they don't want to pay the extra bit for insurance, who is to blame? And I mean, we have both dealt with this firsthand. And great question, Steve. Thank you very much. Um, what's your take on this? So my take, my take on it is first, you need to look at the situation that we're dealing with at the moment, the fact of we have something unprecedented going on in this world and in this country, and it carries all the way through to the postage service. It affects every utility service, every business, everything, or most things. 95% of things in society are vastly impacted by it. Nothing more so than, the, than Australia Post and, and our single post-it, national postage network that we have, right? Here's yep. the thing. Australia Post system is so out of whack at the moment, I don't think people really, people are angry about it and they rightfully should be, but they also don't understand what's going on and there's a real lack of communication. There are cards that, and well, forget cards, there are parcels that people think are lost, that Australia Post think are lost because the people that you're dealing with on a customer service end are just looking at a computer system like you, you are. And although they're looking at more detailed tracking data, it's all based on scan points and where an item is scanned. All they yep. can do is see it at its last scan point. If a scanner is malfunctioning or if a scanner is overwhelmed by the conveyor system because there's too much volume running on it or whatever it may be, there's different types of things that can go wrong. And right now, every type of thing has a, a magnified potential to go wrong, and it is going wrong. Um, what I'm basically saying is you could have a, car, so a package that hasn't arrived for three weeks. You call Australia Post. You put it under investigation. Australia Post tells you that the item is lost. Yeah? That item then turns up the next day. And it hasn't, it hasn't, yeah. it hasn't scanned since the sorting facility until it gets to your house. Okay, so here's the thing. It's a multi-part question. So I wanted to, pref I, yeah. I wanted to preface it where there are major technical issues, everyone, both sellers and buyers, need to allow an extraordinary amount of time at the moment. And until, until the item is no longer even scanning or anything's taking place with it, it still could be in transit. In my experience, it is in transit. Something really interesting happened yesterday, though. Someone, I'm not going to say who, hit me up for some advice and said, hey, man, something interesting's happened here. Australia Post, I bought a card off someone on eBay. Australia Post said it was lost. It hadn't turned up. Australia Post said it was lost. The person refunded me a few days ago in full for it, and, and but it wasn't insured. So they're only getting like whatever, 50 or $100 back from Australia Post. Australia Post said it's lost. He goes, however, the card has turned up today. It's a numbered card, pretty high value. He said the card has turned up today. What should I do? Will Australia Post fix that person up all the money? Do I need to refund them? What should I do here? And I went back to the person. I said, well, put yourself in their shoes. One, they're going to be out of a card for a pocket that someone else, a card, uh, out of pocket for a card that someone else received. I said, but two, more importantly, you're going to put yourself in a really compromised position here. That card is numbered. As far as Australia Post is concerned and the seller is concerned, that card is gone. It's lost or stolen. So as a result of that, because a transaction has taken place, 
If that card ever turns up on the marketplace again, it's actually the proceeds of crime because it's the proceed of a theft. It's the proceeds of a theft, okay? So if you got a card that was numbered 10 out of 100, uh, whatever, we'll just call it for argument's sake, a Max King number 10 out of 100, you sell the card to someone, they buy the card, it hasn't turned up, they lodge an inquiry, Australia Post says, yep, the card must be lost. We acknowledge it must be lost. The seller refunds you, you receive the card, you go and decide to sell that card a week later, a month later, a year later, if that seller notices or anyone notices that that card was actually deemed a stolen or lost, you effectively opening yourself up to criminal charges from the police. Is it, is, it, is, it, is it really worth it? So that's one side of it. That's the extreme side of it. Give, give me your perspective. What do you reckon on the general well, well, side think, of things? I think there's a couple of things to ascertain first, and every situation is different, but let's talk from the seller's point of view. If you sell a card and you send it with tracking or with express, with signature, you take a photo of the item. You know, I got a video off a guy the other day physically putting it into the mailbox. If you do all those steps, you are protecting yourself the best way you possibly can. As a buyer, if you do not pay for tracking or do not pay for express or pay for a signature or on a high-value card, you don't pay for insurance, Yes, you, you're not doing anything wrong, but you're not giving yourself the best opportunity to give yourself the protection. So to circle back to now Steve's point with that information, if a parcel is sent the proper way and all the right tracking's done and all that kind of stuff happens and it gets lost in transit by Australia Post, unfortunately, no one is to blame as such. Australia Post will will refund or credit up to $100. Um, but in theory, no one is to blame for that. But if you buy it through eBay or you bought something through a shop, at the end of the day, the seller is generally responsible for the item to get Correct. to the person that's bought it. Correct. But there's also been some situations where people have received, it said delivered, and they've claimed that they have not got it. So that might be that something fishy is going on or it was stolen from their mailbox or it was never delivered. But either way, it said scanned as delivered. Once it says that it's delivered, in my opinion, the seller no longer is responsible for the transaction because Australia Post, the contract that they've entered with Australia Post to deliver a parcel from AJ1 to AJ2 it says it's delivered. There's nothing more they can do. So that's my, that's my take on it. There's no winners in a lost parcel. Let's just be completely clear. You know, I've had parcels that I've had been waiting for for months that I've started to have conversations with guys that have sold it to me. And, I mean, it's not fun. It's shit. No one's to blame. We're in, as you said, a really unprecedented time. Um, yeah, that's my take on it. Maybe it's a little bit black and white. But, yeah, I don't know what your opinion on it is, AJ, whether it differs from me. But, yeah, that's that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, my, my opinion is the same. Ultimately, the seller has to take responsibility if the card hasn't arrived to its destination. And people need to do everything they can as a seller to mitigate themselves from that arising. So it's, it's actually uncanny that just before we jumped on the live stream, I was involved in a message group where someone said, hey, 
I've had this person basically saying this card hasn't arrived after three weeks and they've lodged a claim against me and I, I'm going to have to give them a refund. And my response to that person was, I don't even put standard posters as an option on eBay. Even if it's a $5 card, they still, a standard post is not an option for me because every time I've ever done it, you know, 50% of the times I've done it in the past, I get stitched up and the person, there's no way to prove that that card has actually arrived. Where, or it got delivered. It's one thing for it to, to not arrive when it's registered and for it to actually go missing and that it can be, it's, it's definitive, you know what I mean? It's definitive that you've taken a carriage service with Australia Post, the item got lost, the item got stolen, or it was confirmed as non-delivered. Well, great. The seller has to take responsibility. Just like if you buy something from a retail shop and you order it online, if you order something from a clothing store, a department store online, it doesn't arrive, they refund you for it. However, exactly what you just said, if the, if the position of the carriage service, in this case Australia Post, is that the item was delivered to the correct address, and in this data, it, because they can't take signatures, they actually take photos with the PDA device of your letterbox or your doorstep, once it's delivered, that is done, and it's in the buyer's responsibility. If their property is not safe and it's prone to being stolen off their doorstep or their mailbox or and they haven't had it redirected to the post office, well, that's too bad. That They've lost out and they will not get a refund for that. So, yeah, that, my, yeah. my position is strong. It's the seller's responsibility until the item can be proven it was delivered. And unfortunately, there's plenty of scammers out there and people get stitched up, which is why I always say keep your network really tight in trading cards. Keep your network tight and use trustworthy people. Yeah, but look, sometimes that's not possible. If you're buying cards off eBay or you're buying cards from a sales thread, I mean, not everyone is always known and trustworthy. But look, a couple of the posts that were just put up there, you know, there are a couple of extra things you can do. Um, get a PO box. They're not expensive. They're 100 bucks a year. That way you know the mail is getting put in the hand of someone at Australia Post. Again, sending express, I can tell you right now, any card that is worth over, I mean... Yeah, 50 bucks or 100 bucks. I'm paying for Express now. I'm sending out most of my cards Express. They're not going overnight, but they're taking a couple of days. They seem to be tracked a little bit better. Um, I would definitely be doing that. And on, you know, the previous slide that I just put up before, um, let me find it for Jason. If you're selling somebody a two or $3,000 captain signature, all right, and you as the seller have any concern whatsoever, go and pay... 25 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever it is, get insured for a couple of thousand dollars just in case. Yes, it sucks having to pay 25 bucks or split it with the guy that's bought it. That way you both get protection and there doesn't have to be any shit conversations at the end because really they're just shit. No, there's no winners in a lost item, especially if everything is above board. Anyway, yeah, let's move on from this because we could talk about this Absolutely fucking forever. Everyone's got opinions on it. But anyway, just do the right thing. Protect yourself. That's all you can do. Yeah. Um, a couple of other questions that we had during the week. Actually, um, Michael Smith sent me – he actually sent a couple of questions in. So I might just rapid fire these two because, you know, I know you – you know, it's hard to get a word out of you, AJ, too. So, you know, <laughs> see if you can answer these ones. I'm um, AJ, too, because you're older. <laughs> Yeah, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Um, best way to send multiple cards, 10 plus, say low-end inserts, hollows. Do you top-load them? How do you send them? 
Uh, so, look, depending on what the cards are, if we're talking about, all right, oh, well, he said low-end inserts and hollows. Firstly, I'm going to preface this. Anything that's a half-decent card should be in a top loader regardless how many of them you're sending. It's not worth any sort of risk of anything hang on, at, hang on, all, hang on. at all. Can I, can I wind that back? Any card you send should be in a fucking top loader. I don't know how many times I need to say it. Uh, unless it's multiples, unless you're doing big multiples, exactly what he said here. If you're talking about 10 plus cards, a sandwich is the way to do it, not a sandwich bag. Now, I know Michael Smith likes sandwich bags, but a sandwich with top loaders. Um, hang on a second. I didn't prepare anything for this, but I'm going to do it. Oh, here we go. Jesus, he's, he's bringing props again. Uh, this is why, this is why I said everyone at home that these are going to be quick-fired. You give AJ2 a little bit of rope and suddenly it's props. All right, I'm just grabbing a bunch of trash cards here that have come from breaks, whatever they are. All right, yep. it's a mixed combo of shit that I've just grabbed. Hey, off that's, a, that's a Richmond card. That's not yeah, trash. There's all sorts of rubbish in here. Oh, this one's like got two in one sleeve. We still haven't even taken it oh, out. Yeah. All right. So, firstly, I don't like the two in one sleeve thing. Some people do it. I don't really, it's not my vibe. I don't do that. But anyway, so here's a yep. bunch of cards. There's no point top loading all these 460s or hollows or all Australians to what they are. So, what I would do is. Yep. Let me just reach into my drawer here, grab myself a couple of uh, second-hand top loaders. There we go, get the right sizes, a couple of top loaders. What's the old there saying? You don't, you don't work with kids, animals, or blokes that bring their own props. Yeah, there we go. All right, here we go, folks. Live action. So I'm going to take two of these cards. I'm just going to take two off the top. One going into a top loader. Tap, 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 roll it down. Second one's going into a top loader. All right, second one's in the top loader. So what I'm going to do, folks, I'm going to take the first one. I'm going to put the first one into my team bag or one-touch bag in this instance. I'm using a one-touch bag instead of an actual team bag just because it's a bigger, a bigger, bag, a bigger bag and therefore I can fit multiple cards in. Yep. All right, I'm taking the other loose cards. They are still... Penny sleeves. They still need to be in penny sleeves, okay? That's very important, especially for me. I, all cards need to be sent in sleeves at least. All right, so I'm taking them. I'm sticking them into the sandwich. So I've got, as you can see, I've got the top loader on the back, and I've got all those loose cards on the front. I'm going to take my second top loader, put it in over the top, sitting in front of everything that's inside. Boom, boom, boom. Tap it down slightly. Let's grab it, and whatever. Just seal it up. And there you go. That is rigid. It is strong. It is sandwiched. It is good. You could go the extra extra yards and put cardboard around it if you wanted to, but anyone that's received anything from me in the last 12 months, that's that's how they'd be coming. Um, to the extent that if it's you don't want it to be too thick for the padded mailer, so often if I have a transaction with someone that's like 10 or 20 cards, I'll do two sets of sandwiches and then I'll tape them together and I'll stick them in as a rectangle not on top of each other, rectangled into a mailer. Yeah, and, and yeah. Look, that's a good point, but the key point is he is using a top loader. I guess also I've got these two, which I'll show you guys at home. It might be a bit hard to see on camera, but I occasionally order sort of large amounts of cards from Select, and they might send me 10 at a time in these fat top loaders. So they're probably about oh, a centimetre wide or whatever, and I can put 10 cards in those all individually sleeved in the one top loader. Um, 
you know, if I send 10 cards, I don't go and send 10 top loaders. I would probably go more the direction that AJ is mentioning, but I have a pile of top loaders here that are really fat. So I use them in those examples. Um, but I guess the motto of the story is just make sure you protect the cards. Whether you're doing a sandwich route, whether you're doing top loaders, whether you're using cardboard with top loaders, either way, just package them up and send them the way you would like to receive them. I mean, we'll keep banging on about this for weeks and weeks and years and years. It is, um, yeah, something we're going to hope to hopefully educate everybody. And anyone that buys cards, like, you know, this is one pile. I'm sure you got the same. I have a pile of old top loaders that I just use to then resend or do packaging out with people. I advise everybody, well, there you go. Um, you know, I've got I, a draw, literally a draw of used top loaders and they come and go. So every time a package comes in, I take them out of the top loaders and they go into this drawer. And if it's going into my collection, they go into a brand new fresh top loader or if it's yep. going into a folder, then the top loader gets reused. And that's what I do too. I've got a pile of top loaders, new ones, and then I've got old ones. So I advise everybody that's going to do any kind of transaction, go and buy a box of top loaders, go and buy some penny slaves, go and buy some team bags, get yourself prepared. Again, watch our little video we've put on on inserts on YouTube everywhere. Just make sure you do the right thing. Anyway, jo- this one. Sorry, this- Jonathan, one second, one second. Jonathan Morcella has just commented rubber band question mark. My strong advice, I was told this very early on when I started collecting because I put up a photo of a stack of cards with a rubber band around them from, from the 90s from when I was a kid. No, rubber bands destroy cards. They absolutely ruin cards over the long term. They are not to be used on cards. Um, if, it, if it's top-loaded cards, different story, but even cards with penny sleeves should not have rubber bands put around them. If it's to secure a package, different story. And I'll be, you know, occasionally I get a few items of mail, normally logos. Um, nothing upsets me more is when I see my pile of mail from the postman with a huge, big, fat rubber yeah, band around it, kills them. wrapped it around. I mean, I've yeah. got a pile of letters here with a rubber band, and I just pray Ooh. that everyone has watched our video and they've used top loaders because if they're not, that rubber band is sucking the life out of my cards. Yeah. All right. Anyway, next question. And I'd like this one, all right? Will Matt Rao get a Brownlow predictor in 2021? Uh, you, you would have to think that he's going to, based on his initial performance in Series 1 at least. If there's f- four predictors again next year, then, yeah, I would think he'll definitely be one of them. Absolutely will he have a Brownlow predictor next year. I would say that is the $1.01 favourite that will lob home in one second. I, I, I would assume that a select bases it on the previous year's voting per team. So the top four from the year before would be the pop, or the top three, plus then a wild card is other players represented. So he, he obviously was injured for a few games, but you'd think for Gold Coast he'll still probably poll the highest. Uh, I don't know if you'll poll the highest because they've won a few games, but, I mean, he's going to poll 10 votes. Yeah. Yeah, so you know what I mean? Or not votes. There's no jacks yet, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, anyway. Uh, do you think we will see DPS and player ring variants in 2021? Say DPS, like, of 125 or golds of 75s because they've been successful in the past with Future Force and previous releases. Um, yeah, I don't see it. 
I, I, just, I, I, don't, I just don't see it happening, to be honest. There's lots of rumours that that was happening in dominance, that case hits were going to be DPSs, like different variations of DPSs and stuff like that. It would be cool. I'd love to see it. Don't get me wrong. I'll buy, I'll buy them. I'll collect them. They'll certainly be something I collect. I love signature cards. But uh, yeah, I, I just I don't I don't see it happening. It could. It's you know the Americans do it with a lot of their stuff, and the Europeans have parallel signature sets. Um, I feel like we've moved on from it. I feel like you know we had a question earlier on that I didn't put on screen about whether or not Future Force would be back. I kind of feel like they've merged in now DPSs into main releases that they may do more DPS as opposed to different variants. I don't think we have the driving desire like the US market for it yet. So my gut feeling is no, by the sounds of it, you agree with me, which is rare. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would say no. Um with the exception of supremacy, how come Guernsey patches and SIGs haven't returned since, say, 2016 and 17? Um, will they return? Um, is that a logistics thing? Is that a marketing reason? Why do you think they haven't done it? I, I thought it would have been a golden opportunity to do it in dominance. I was quietly hoping there was going to be a redemption patch or signature. Um, why do you think they haven't done it? I, I would assume it's the the logistics and the cost involved in doing it is really substantial. Um, just so people know, Select as a manufacturer, it, it's a family business. It's it's a small business. This is not it's not what people may have in their mind. You know, mega factories, huge corporation, hundreds of workers, all this sort of stuff. That's not what's happening here. The way it works, just to, to really break it down for people, because most people probably have no idea about the select patch cards and whether that was certified or supremacy or there was some patch cards years ago as part of redemptions and stuff as well, which were probably done a bit differently back then. But in the modern era, the way it's done is literally select purchases match-worn Guernseys off either clubs or reputable distributors and... The, an employee at Select in Australia cuts up the jerseys into the pieces they need to be cut into for the size that the cards go. Those pieces then get sent to a factory in China who's producing the physical cards and they take those pieces of jersey and they stick them inside the cards. And that actually answers the, the, another question that people often ask you, which is how do they stuff up the numbering versus the patch so badly? So why is a jumper number or a low number a low number card has a terrible patch, but a random number has a really good patch? And quite simply, it's not as a sophisticated art form as what people may think it is. It's literally think about eighteen sandwich bags. Eighteen sandwich bags full of patches arrive to a factory in China where they don't know much about. It's irrelevant because it's on a production run anyway. It doesn't matter what they know. And they take those and they stick them inside the cards that they've got. And that's done. It's done and it's dusted. And that's that. Now, the cards are much thicker stock. They're two-piece cards, so they have to be glued in layers. There's a lot of – There's a. it's an intense manufacturing thing, so the cost of the cards would be substantially higher. I would love to see them done a lot more in the future. What I don't want to see is moving from match-worn into generic i don't want to see that happen if i'm yep. going to have a patch if i'm going to get a patch card i want it to be a match walk from a match worn guernsey yeah and I, I just don't think that look i i love patches i don't have many of them but i love them um i don't feel 
like in America, relics that they're called are so much yeah. bigger. I think Australia is so much more focused on numbers rather than patches at the moment. But will that change in time? Maybe. Maybe that could be the next evolution if Select ever sell and they get taken by a bigger, you know, overseas company. I'm sure they'll roll out more of those sorts of things. But I think the next time we're going to see patches is in Supremacy 2, where no doubt they're going to have some amazing booklets. Um, you know, the Richmond Triple Premiership one, for example. You know, I'm sure there's going to be some amazing patches there. Um, yeah. I think it's time for us to cut into cardboard school. Well, obviously, you know, we've got lots of questions. Would you believe we've actually already been on air for almost an hour and a half? Um, one of the things that I wanted to touch on, we touched on this in one of the, the earlier questions tonight. A lot of us are going in breaks, and I know, Jenks, you don't go in many breaks, breaks, so you wouldn't understand this, but mm. you achieve and receive a lot of cards. And obviously everyone likes the influential of Captain Signature and they like getting the hollows for their team, but you find that you're stuck with a whole heap of, let's call it shit, all right? <laughs> They're not cards that are worth nothing, but they might be a whole heap of another team's hollow that you don't like or a whole heap of you know, logos, whatever it might be, what's the best way to store these? Because you don't want to throw them in the bin. You're obviously doing transactions. What's the best way for people to store all these surplus cards that they've got that have a bit of value, but they don't want to throw them away? What What would you recommend to the punters out there? Oh, look, if I could show you, I would, but I can't just lift up the whole computer and I can't exactly bring it onto onto screen here but uh, i store cards in a number of different ways um, and depending on what the card is the storage mechanism changes okay so base cards outside of if i'm doing a folder set or something like that bulk amount of base cards i store them in um in count boxes what are called count boxes which are basically white boxes or they could be see-through boxes that, that i do have one of those around they're, 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 you go. They're, they're specifically they're specifically designed for cards um all right, here we go. Actually, just pull that off a shelf up above. That is a count box, okay? This is a great example, actually. This is unplanned, okay? This is a, I think this is a 250 count box here. What's, yep. inside of it, what's inside of this is a whole bunch of St Kilda base cards that I haven't sorted out yet. It's stuff that I've received over time, but I haven't had a chance to properly inventory it. So rather than letting it sit in just a big pile of cards, I've put them all into this count box. Um, you can see like some of them even wrapped up in team bags in them based on what series it is, which will make it easier for me when I go through it. Then I'm going to show you what else we got. Well, wait, why are you looking for that? No, I can actually, I'm not going like, to show you anything else. But basically I store my well, common cards. I don't sleeve and I put them in big things. Anything that's not a common and I don't need as part of my set, I store it in a different type of count box, whether it's a 100 count box or a 5,000 count box. But I sleeve everything. Well, look, I, and, and to add to that, and look, I've got it. First of all, I'm going to give a big thank you to a, a friend of the show, Minxy Matus, who's well known in the community. He um he sent me a box of supplies one day from the the gentleman out the general the fine gentleman out at EJ's, and by mistake, he sent me some of these, which 
the light's not great, but these are top loader boxes, all right? Oh. So I have snapped this one. That's not a great one to show. But <laughs> it, it, it's basically a plastic box, all right, and it fits top loaders. It fits uh, one touches. And I got two of these by mistake, and I used to have piles of cards. So I would have a pile this thick of reds and a pile this thick of milestones from Prestige and a pile of greens and all this kind of stuff sitting on my shelf. I got these boxes and I instantly fell in love with them. <clears throat> I have legitimately like 30 of these fuckers now, all right? And I literally have boxes for different things. So, you know, this one is my Richmond cards that have not been sorted yet. I've got one for – these are all, all Australian cards from, you know, breaks I've gone in this season for dominance. I have one for red prestiges. I have one for greens. I have one for my showstoppers, all my sorts of stuff. And I have these boxes and they stack nicely on top of each other. Um, they're like four or five bucks each. You know, you don't have to go and go crazy and buy as many as I have, but I love them because it means the cards are protected and everything is segregated. So when, you know, Jenks calls me up in the middle of the night and says, AJ, I'm desperate for a Richmond card. I can go to my Richmond box and grab one for him and I know where they are. Um, personally, that's how I store a lot of mine and we had a question earlier about the bowling of cards. I had a big pile of reds that I was leaving on the shelf and they started to bow a little bit. So I put them in one of these boxes. It protects them straight out of the sun. There's no elements, all that kind of stuff. Definitely go and get yourself some plastic boxes. Um, you know, don't leave them loose. Look after your card. Um, yeah, one of the things I could certainly recommend. Another thing that I do too for cards, again, it's too far for me to reach, but I've got a couple of folders with a heap of slips. So I'll go and sort cards out and it might be, say, North Melbourne cards. And I'll go and put all the North Melbourne hollows that I've got in a folder. So oh, when... Yeah. Yeah, so when someone rings me up or sends me a message saying, mate, what North Melbourne hollows do you have? I can quickly flick to a page and there's 20 North Melbourne cards that I can go boom, boom, <clears throat> mate, what do you need out of that list? Um, yeah. That's another way you can store cards and protect cards that you've got of these surplus ones. Um, obviously, how I protect my other cards and my other stuff we talked about last week. Um, yeah. The, the folders are, are absolutely, yeah, a no-brainer. And look, yeah, as we've got a message here from Luke, um, I have a base set from every series with corresponding album, any surplus cards I add to the back of the folder for easy access. I mean, that's really smart. So build the set that you want, and then if you've got extra prestige cards, have them in some extra sheets, and then you can go and find them later if you need to sell them or trade them or do whatever you need to do with them. Yeah. Yeah. With, with your top-end cards, obviously, as we've spoken before, put them in top loaders, put them in one-touches, put them, you know, in a tub or a folder or whatever you want to do. Make sure you're protecting your good cards. But these are more for probably the cards that you just need to sort and put somewhere, you know, anywhere else. So uh, I can see Alan Pryor's just said, I can explain bowing cards. It's moisture loss uh, after production. Well, I'm, I'm, that is definitely a more technical way of uh, of what I said before, but I'm glad that uh, no one I'm likes to smart ass, Alan. All right, yeah, just yeah, you I'm, don't need I'm, to bring I'm, science into this. All right, I'm glad I'm glad we're on the same page. So yeah, it absolutely makes sense that when it when it's kind of you know that term hot off the press, and then as something cools over time and changes, it's uh, 
that's going to impact the material. So it's true, always going to happen the more layers or the more finishes is what they call the coating, basically. The more yep. finishing that there is, the more susceptible the card's going to be to to those type of things happening to them. So uh, thanks for that, Al. Appreciate yep. that, sir. Good work, Alan. Yeah, and so look, all this stuff you can buy from any of your reputable stores. As um as as we said, EJ's looked after me by mistake with these, you know. And again, thank you, Minxie, for those. But I mean, any of your your main retail card stores are going to have all sorts of different storage options. You can also look online. Um, again, we can put up a list of distributors in different states if you guys need them. But um, yeah, just ask the question. Ask your friends how they store them. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Um. Well, that was card school. That was a nice and easy one, even though like, I feel like we're covering a lot of those issues tonight. Yeah. But, but I think it's time to get to everyone's favourite segment, the one that we get countless, countless messages, phone calls, emails about every week, and that is, of course, unicorn hunting. Yeah. Now, now we've we've had a couple of quiet weeks on the hunt. As everyone knows, we've been desperately, desperately looking for 2001 captain signatures, Matty Primus, Nathan Buckley, and Wayne Campbell. Well, I can report to the listeners at home, we are very, very, very close to landing one of those cards. Hopefully, we'll have a little bit more information about that next show. There's a few little things going on. There's a few trades, a few things happening. We may have landed one of those. But this week, all right, we've had um, a unicorn requested to us, and we've had a couple of requests for this, but a good friend of the show, Bodie Brown, reached out to you, Jenks, and pleaded. I heard he pleaded for us every, to every week, every, every week since we started the podcast, that Bodie Brown is sliding up into my DMs like mad, and he's just like, "I still need this card, mate. I can't find this card. I can't. Nah, it's uh, he hasn't gone that hard at me, but I'm very uh, excited for you to present the card we're looking for for the boat painting master. Take it away, AJ. Certified 2017 influential series, Travis Boak. Now, we're all very familiar with the Certified 17 Influential cards. It was a Ripper series. There was Crips. There was both the Rewalts. Obviously, the better one, Jack, was the main one that everyone wanted. But Travis Boak was part of that um, that series. You know, as we spoke about a few weeks ago, and, uh, and Luke's just popped up, um, the Luke Hodge Influential um, that we were lucky enough to actually capture for Luke um, through some amazing work by some of the team of our hunters. We are now trying to find the Travis Bloke Influential from Certified 17. Now, there's only 40 of these cards. They've got to be around. We're going to get the artwork up, up obviously, next week. Jenks, I can hear you having all sorts of technical issues. This is not the time. This is serious. This hunting is very, very serious. Um, I can see that Alan Pryor is just saying that he's got one of these in his cabinet at the moment. So I don't know whether or not this might be the quickest hunt in history. Um, Alan, tell us, do you have is this card available? Is this a card available right now for Bodhi? 
or are you just sort of trolling us? Anyway, either way, we're going to make this happen if this is possible. So, Bodie, obviously, we're going to look out for this card. If anyone has a Travis Boak influential from Certified 17, Bodie will make sure that we can work out a deal. As always, AJ and myself are happy to help in any way to provide any cards. Um, yes, Luke, thanks for being a smartass. I know there is only 39 of them, but they're numbered to 40. There is one sitting in the select vault. Um, if someone can pull the one from the select vault for us, perfect. The 01, I'm sure Bodie Brown would be, um, you know, wrapped about. And Bodie's actually just sort of chipped in. He's got stacks of high-level cards to trade. And, again, we can certainly help with any of those. Um if anyone can help us find this Travis Boat card, obviously we will um, we will help them out. Um, so certified seventeen, Travis Boat, influential, numbered to forty, only thirty nine of them around. Thank you, Luke. I know you've got your one now, so you're happy. But let's see if we can land this for Bodie. We've got a couple of other cards in the works that we're going to talk about um, next week, but. We're going to hold them for the moment, just one a week. Let's see if we can get one. Let's see if we can land one. It's been a lean week on the hunt, you know what I mean? We we, we, we had such a, a hot streak, a hot streak of landing cards. Let's um let's keep going. But, look, actually, I, AJ, I want to talk about this quickly. We get a lot of questions about, what, actually, what a unicorn is. And I don't so much want to define what people's opinion of a unicorn is, more just probably what we use as a criteria for a unicorn. So, you know, in our production meetings, we talk about this all the time. The first thing you have to remember is any card that is available for sale that either AJ and I could go onto a Facebook thread or eBay and buy a card, that is not a unicorn. If a unicorn is for sale, that's not a unicorn. That's just... Yeah you not wanting to pay the price that it's selling for. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I think Matus I saw said about 10 minutes ago in the comments, you know, what 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 are your guys' unicorns? What are you looking for? And um, for me, there's, the, yeah, there you go. There's there's the uh, the comment. So, if, like, for me personally, at this stage, I wouldn't put anything out for my chase because most of the cards I still need, the 30-odd cards left that I need for my master set, yeah, there are some that I've never been able to find and, I think they will pop up at some point. But for the most part, you know, there's things I need there. Robert Harvey, Captain Signature, Lenny Hayes, Aaron Hamill, Captain Signature Redemption, which they're either available on the market now or they do come up from time to time. I just never want to pay the price of what they cost. So for me, they're technically attainable cards, whereas maybe something more suitable for a unicorn would be the old, I think it's the 96 Brownlow predictor cards which were prize cards effectively or, or to an extent competition cards which are only numbered to 20 and you never ever see them pop up they just never ever come up yep. so that that is probably more of a unicorn they're probably less valuable than the robert harvey captain signature well they definitely are but then they, they don't come up they are unattainable i would say so that's the difference if you actually can't find it or it's not readily available for sale at, on the advertised market then it's a unicorn. Yeah, and another one that's came up today, and I, and actually I had three requests today. I think I don't know if I've told you about this, AJ, 
people requesting 01 cards from a specific team of a specific series. Now, I'll just make an example up. If someone came and asked for an 01 Dustin Martin card, okay, if that card has been pulled and it's been seen somewhere, it is very likely that card is in someone's collection most likely a Richmond collector, all that kind of stuff. The whole purpose of unicorn hunting is trying to get cards into collector's hands. And if a collector, say myself, if I was lucky enough to have an 01 Dusty card, that's already in me in my collection as a Richmond collector. We don't want to pry those cards out of people that are heavy team collectors. We want to try to find cards that have either got a little bit of a history or are floating around or perhaps have not been pulled out. So certainly don't take offense to, you know, a few people that have asked me today whether I can go and get an 01 of blah, blah for a certain team. It's not that we can't go and get it, but we don't want to go and pull these out of people's collections so that we can then go and give it to someone else's collection. That's not how it works. Um, unicorn hunting is a, a feel-good way that hopefully a card that might be worth $20 or might be worth $1,000 might be sitting in someone's collection. And Luke just, you know, that's a great point. A, a unicorn doesn't have to be worth $1,000. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we, we covered one for, I've forgotten his name, Graham, who wanted a Patrick Cripps um, Brownlow predictor from 2018, I think it was. You know, that card is probably only worth 50 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever. But because it was from a Footy Stars release, he didn't win the Brownlow. It was from two years ago. Those cards are either in the bin or sitting in a drawer of a 10 year old or whatever. That's a unicorn that he's trying to find. It doesn't have to be expensive. It's just about trying to find cards so they can end up in a good home and an insolence collection. So sometimes we don't reply to people's emails. We, we get tons of requests and keep sending them through, please. But um, just remember, we don't want to rip things out of people's collections or make them feel bad that they have to give it up to be able to help with a unicorn hunt. Um, again, we're happy to help with any card that we possibly can. But I just felt I kind of need to say, because I do feel there's a little bit of a trend. And I don't know if you've received too many of these requests, AJ, but I know I certainly get a lot of them. Yeah, I'm definitely getting a lot of them. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great to be able to, to clarify what is probably something suitable for the show to be able to chase and, and what is what is, what is not. But uh, keep those amazing submissions coming, guys. And um, it's obviously getting getting pretty late now. We've been on deck for almost two hours here, um, even after we told each other that we were aiming for 45 to 60 minutes. So the questions have been incredible. And this could ultimately go, this could go till 6 o'clock in the morning with the amount of questions that are coming through. But what yep. I think we are going to actually do is get you guys to save a bunch of these amazing questions and this incredible conversation that's taking place in the comments right now. So we've got something to keep talking about as we run these weekly uh, these weekly broadcasts and these weekly live streams. We've covered such a great amount of topics tonight and there's so much more to do and I'm really just looking forward to the next episode. And, and this show is for you guys and I absolutely agree with you there, AJ, that you know I'm happy to open the floor up for comments every show. You know what I mean? If you guys want to dictate how we take this show, we'll obviously always have our fun with our segments. But this is for you guys. If there's questions you want to ask, either publicly or privately, 
send them through. This is about you guys. This is about us helping you guys. So we love the energy. We thank you all for the energy and the contributions you're making. It makes, you know, a really fun for us. And we have an absolute ball trying to help you. And hopefully we are helping some people out there. But, you know, thank you. This is great. We're seven episodes in. We've had, you know, 40-odd viewers pretty much the whole time concurrently. Hundreds of viewers have come on today. But, you know, hundreds of comments. Um, thank you. This is amazing. And, of course, AJ, as always, thank you. But, but there was a real trend in questions very early on. And I think this is a good way to sign the show off. And I know you're scrolling back in comments now going, shit, what's he going to load on me? There was a lot of requests about whether or not we should have a little wager over the football on Friday night. Really? Is it? Well, it is Richmond versus St Kilda, one of the great, great battles of okay. in final history. So, so, let's not put money into it, all right? And obviously, I don't want it. Well, I don't really want your cards because, you know. You, the, you already got the good one I had. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but how about a little bit of fun? Yeah. The person next week whose team doesn't win has to wear a Guernsey of that team. So if Richmond win, you have to wear a Richmond Guernsey. And if St Kilda win, I have to wear a St Kilda Guernsey. Well, I'm, I'm slightly larger than you, so maybe it might be a hat and a scarf. But either way, how about that's the, the wager we have. Whoever the losing team is has to come to next week's show in the other club's team and be openly supportive of that team the following week in the preliminary final. I'm all for it. I'm down with it, and I love to back my team all the time as much as I can. I don't really bet. I actually don't sports bet much, so... I prefer my enjoyment to do it with uh, with cards these days and any uh, sort of gambling that, that I may be doing. <laughs> Make this next show for loser. Yeah, oh, no, no, Jason, uh, no. Yeah, we we, we like our viewers. We respect you guys. We wouldn't do yeah, that. It's, uh, it, it, it won't be pretty. But I will say, as people know, I tend to get up and excited when the Saints get up, and that always results in me giving away cards. So uh, as tradition goes, it's not going to just be wearing the opposite team, but if my team gets up, Look out on RGV for a big Saints listing. If my boy Jack Steele plays a big one, oh, I'm going to bring out some Steelies. Don't worry about that. The hardest bloke to get his cards in the whole competition. That's it. All right. All right. Well, oh, Mario, just because cool. you're what is it, $3.20 to one or something like that. Saints, Saints are $3.20 for the win I saw yesterday. Well, Unbelievable. Oh, oh Gad, Gad I, I like this too, but I don't know, logistically, face paint could get really messy. Nah, I like the face paint. Then you can involve your kids, AJ. I'll come into the face paint if AJ does. No! All right, all right, face paint. All right, fine, fine. It's going to be the face paint. Here we go. All right, that's it. We're both committed. The opposing team that wins, the other person has to do face paint on the next episode. So I have legit, legit face paint, not just glitchy computer face paint. All right. Well, I mean, that would be a nice surprise, yes. All right. Look, we've uh, we've been here for nearly two hours. It's been a rip-up. Thank you again to everyone's support. You guys have all been absolutely amazing. AJ, brilliant as always. Thank you for your insights. You too. Thanks, everyone, for participating and getting on board with the live stream. As we've said, we're going to keep doing these uh, moving forward and running them as lives. The video and the audio, both available in a few hours on all the usual outlets, Apple, 
uh, SoundCloud, Spotify, hopefully very soon, and uh, yeah, on the Facebook page. And make sure you stay tuned to big announcements in the next couple of days. We've got a brand new interactive website coming in the next couple of days, and people will be able to submit uh, all their unicorns direct into the site, as well as see a full map of all the unicorns we're chasing, the unicorns that have been hunted down and secured. Uh, yeah, look out for that over the next couple of days. Plenty of exciting things happening with Card Authority. As always, keep the feedback coming. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. AJ2 signing off. Go Tigers. <laughs>